Hey there. Welcome back to Backwoods Belief. I'm Jeff Wright here with Ben Woodring. What? So we're here to talk about, uh, I think, a concept that's pretty unique to us. I think this came up in our offline conversations. Uh, we're talking about how God is pretty clearly frustrating alignments right now and, and frustrating yeah. groupings. Uh, before we get started on that, though, Ben, how you doing, man? Oh, not bad. How much stuff? I'm doing okay. Uh, still kind of dealing in my circles with uh, that frustration of alliances stuff with G3 <laughs> after the Christian nationalism statement. So Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that. So A little bit of a, a thorn in the flesh, but otherwise I am doing well. My family had a run of sickness. We're on the far side of that, and nice. we're milking more cows than we've ever milked. Uh, and uh, I don't know, it's fun. I'm, I like this time of year. I think that's the, the reason that, because this episode that we're recording now should really be released today or yesterday. But because of all of the, or maybe even earlier, <laughs> because of all of the uh, the cow, the bovine adventures you've been having, um, bovine adventures, school wrapping up, uh, sick kids. I mean, man, but there's a lot at the end of the tunnel. So, um, so Ben, let me ask you: Is the best way to get into this? I think uh, I didn't recognize this as the pattern at the time, but I think the pattern starts either with. Uh, some conservative denominations that were roiled by controversy. And, uh, you know, as their leaders mishandled the controversy, the alliances they represent as the denomination began to break up. Uh, but also around the same time, it was together for the gospel. So which where do we want to start? Yeah, I, I think it goes back quite a ways, um, e- probably even earlier than we're thinking, mm. um, in that you have these uh, organizations where the guys who are on the platform for shorthand, but I think everybody knows what I mean by that. The guys who are behind the scenes or in charge have a a totally different um, set of standards, set of beliefs, just mode of operation than the the person in the pew. And I think that's kind of the the root or source of where this frustration of alliances comes from. And what we, we mean by frustration of alliances is there have been so many different coalitions, you know, like you can think about the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention, or, I mean, if you want to go back to the 1930s, you had uh, Machen and Carl McIntyre were kind of leaders in the OPC, but of two widely different movements. You know, the, the Machen guys were all kind of the um, kind of staunch old school Presbyterians, and the McIntyre group was kind of the, I mean, so the McIntyre was dispensational. Um, like they were not, you know, your standard old school Presbyterian, but they both stood on the authority of the Word of God, and so they were like, we need to get out of the the mainline denomination, and so they worked together. And then I think within a year there was conflict in the OPC mm. because of the differences. And so it seems like anytime there's this coalition building happening, you're always going to have kind of the internal squabbles that happen with different people with differing beliefs when they, they join together. But typically, you know, they're able to set those things aside for a while, deal with the bigger issue, and then, you know, we'll come back to that. But it seems like what's been happening right now is that all of those little issues that um, really shouldn't be separating, you know, our people um, have been causing major conflicts when there's a, a much worse enemy out there that we're facing um, and that really needs to be dealt with before we fight over, you know, what color the carpet is. Well, I think what you're outlining there is that this is having kind of a, a funneling effect too, because the early 
dissolutions that put this on my radar were over more significant problems. But as we go further along, the problems that divide us are getting much more small and should, like you just said, they should not be dividing us, but they are. And so if I can lay that out for our listeners, I'll just start kind of broadly because I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you sort of know the deep, uh, maybe not deep, but the broad thrusts of what I'm referring to in the denomination. So with the Southern Baptist Convention, um, 2019, I guess, seems both longer and more recent than that. Uh, The people on the platform pushed through a resolution legitimizing and praising critical race theory as an analytical tool. Yeah. Became a major controversy, uh, began unraveling bonds of fellowship and cooperative ministry there. Uh, The PCA version, which is, you know, it's not my denomination, but it's one I root for. I know we need it in terms of raw numbers, uh, revoice and sodomy theology began doing the same thing and then it seems like the anglicans the conservative anglicans have been roiled with what their communion is doing with drag queens and trainees and these things are just starting to slowly pull bonds apart yeah um who was it that coined the phrase the the woke trident uh somebody Hmm. on twitter but have you heard of that no that's new but that i mean that makes immediate sense there's these particular issues the the um the sodomy thing, the race thing. Oh man, what's the third one? Oh, feminism. Yeah. So you've got um, sodomy, the race thing, and feminism all kind of coming at you as apparently separate issues. But then when you realize they're all kind of connected to each other, they're all based on a bad anthrop- anthropology. And when you accept one of them, the other two come are coming right behind to to get you. Um, and so somebody coined the the phrase the woke trident, which is that like as soon as one of them hits, you know the others are coming as well. And it's it's so clear, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention primarily was dealing it with it in terms of the woke stuff. The PCA primarily dealing with it in terms of the revoice stuff. Um, and I mean, pretty much every conservative denomination is dealing with it in terms of feminism. But it's not as though those are the the solitary issues. The other things are also brewing under the surface as well. You know, in the PCA, you've got the woke stuff happening. I mean, who, who Duke Kwan, he's PCA. Yeah. Um, Funded by the North American Mission Board in part two, we pay for his office space. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other topic to get into. Um, but actually, that is um, sort of evident of the the trident I'm talking about because even those guys are working together to push these issues in their own separate denominations, but they've built their own sort of coalition together. Um, And so you have this influx of these sorts of progressive social issues coming at all of our conservative denominations um, and leading to what you're describing, you know, a, a need to kind of separate and fight against those things in those denominations. Yeah, you know, I sent you an outline for uh, for this, but I, even thinking about that woke trident deal, I you know I just forgot. It seems so far back, but Beth Moore in the SBC was pushing yeah. egalitarianism. Uh, Russ Moore picked that up. Obviously, the Amy Bird thing that roiled uh, Geneva mm-hmm. Commons and all that. I mean, it's another. Yeah, we think about how big Geneva Commons was, and the disparate reactions to Amy Bird's <laughs> actions and how that broke apart <laughs> fellowship. I mean. Yeah, you start pulling this thread, and it it starts just showing itself everywhere. You just start yeah. seeing it 
in well, you know, countless a, places. A great example of this is what we just saw today with um, uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention with the uh, the attorney client privilege thing, and um, what's her name, Hannah Kate, yeah, who has uh, come out now and told the Southern Baptists they were really stupid for um, um, waving attorney waving, client privilege. Waving attorney client privilege, which she's right. They were yep. really stupid for doing that. Yep. But, but she I was mean, the she point was, of the spear. She was, yeah, she was the one pushing them to do that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bunch of uh, May Dorder men, Grant Gaines, <laughs> uh, you know, Dean and Sarah, these guys lined up to push it as the moral imperative, while a bunch of the same mm-hmm. people were saying, hey, this is really stupid. You shouldn't do it. And now, I mean, you know, Hannah Kate has also identified them as abusers since, you know, they mm-hmm. used her, she used them uh, to, to get what they wanted done. Um, and that, that is its own kind of thing. Like, I'd, I'd like to talk about that in just a minute, how the, the people being used to break these alliances also aren't able to, to coalesce around anything. Uh, I think Kyle James Howard right now is getting roasted by people <laughs> on the left, you know? He is, yeah. It, 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 the... The machine eats its own so quickly that it's hard to keep up with who is safe. Yeah, uh, yeah, which makes sense if you think about how God judges sin and wickedness, right? You see these wicked people kind yeah. of catching it, but but what is kind of frustrating? And I'll be honest with you, man. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a guy who lives in fear, but it's kind of frightening. Is that these guys are effective in breaking up godly alliances? Now, it's not yeah. always them. Sometimes it's Rick stepping uh, to borrow from your description, but. Um, that's what's happening. So you've got an Amy Bird, a Beth Moore, Kyle James Howard. Um, they Russ go in Moore. and break up these alliances. Yeah, and Hannah Kate. You know they get they get washed away, kind of in God's judgment too. But their work's been done. Yeah, yeah, and effectively, like you're saying. Yeah, effectively. Um, um, oh, what was I just going to say? Oh, uh, part of what this reminds me of, and we may already be getting off topic here, but. It, it makes me think of the the inner ring concept and that the reason this happens is that there's this continual desire to be a little bit, you know, into the next ring, a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And so you have to find somebody that you got to push out yeah. until yeah. there's nobody left. Yeah. You kind of climb on the shoulders of the guy that you're stepping on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, uh, you know, if listeners, if you want to follow this pattern, so just, okay, we've got a few things on the board here. You've got Amy Bird, you've got, the woke tried it that's just destroying these denominations, right? And I think the next thing for me personally, which I, actually I'm really thankful for Twitter because I realized through Twitter that a bunch of people had the same reaction I had in, I think, 2016, but I didn't know it at the time. Uh, it was at Together for the Gospel when David Platt preached his sermon, Let Justice Roll Down, which seriously felt like a bucket of cold water and a gut punch all at once. Um you got you got comments on that because I'm I'm gonna kind of walk through my lived experience on that. Yeah, you'll need to because I don't know that I ever even listened to that sermon. At that point, I had already given up on David Platt and, and these people, yeah. so I, you know it wasn't something I was following. But I do remember a friend of ours telling me how I think he was there, just how bad the sermon was. Like it wasn't even a sermon; it was just oh, like, it was awful. At, at some point, I think he just devolved into like quoting statistics or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you, yeah. You go, go ahead. Yeah. So the the context there actually I think is really useful for us illustrating this concept we're talking about because you remember what together for the gospel was supposed to be. It's these guys from Presbyterianism, uh, Southern Baptist Life, and whatever C.J. Mahaney's Sovereign Grace thing is. 
And, you know, we can align on the core of the gospel and we can have this robust doctrinal uh, commitment set and we're going to kind of model fellowship across these denominational lines. It's really the kind of same thing that I think the Gospel Coalition was trying to do. It's all from that same Mm -hmm. trans-denominational impulse. But Together for the Gospel was up front, kind of building their identity on, look at how we can come together. And uh, David Platt, who I have never been the biggest David Platt fan, um, David is one of those guys, going back to previous episodes, that his, um, his credibility comes from other people on platforms saying he's great and having credentials. So I think he had like I mean, something crazy, like two PhDs or two MDivs or something when he was super young, and everybody thought that must mean he was super intelligent. And he wrote that book, Radical, that was a new legalism that took off like crazy because people want to uh, kind of feel like they've they've really sacrificed. And yeah. so, Do David, you remember what what year that book came out? Was it early? I, mean, I remember like it was in the mid spe- to I mean, late two thousands. Yeah, and Francis Chan wrote the same book the same time, right? So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was in the air. And honestly, the the crazy thing about this is I, my wife read that. She was super into it. I just didn't care for Platt, so I wasn't as invested. But it was pre-woke Anthony Bradley who said, guys, this is a new legalism. It's perfectly fine to just raise a family yeah. and love the Lord in your vocation, and you don't need to feel ashamed of that. Um, and he was the guy who kind of red-pilled me on David Platt. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so... Platt, because of the success uh, of his book and you know self-credentialing, or not self-credentialing, but mutual credentialing by his buddies, because, again, he could sell books and he must be important then. He's on the Together for the Gospel. He's sort of the young, one of the young guys. Him and Kevin DeYoung mm-hmm. are the young faces of Together for the Gospel. And he gets up and preaches this sermon that's pure critical race theory, and it was absolutely brain-dead. Um, he basically gave a bunch of statistics, like you mentioned, about different lived experiences based along racial demographics. So the the point was black people have it so much worse and white people have it so much better. And he just kind of puts that on the record. Then he leaps all the way over to, well, then we need to repent. So there's no, you know, there's no causal basis established. There's, there's no correspondence between anything we're doing and, and whatever these statistics are, even if they're legitimate. And he immediately demands that we repent. And so I'm, you know, I'm like, this guy's supposed to be smart. This is not even a, a a valid argument. And at that time, Together for the Gospel had, in their app, created a social media environment that was just for attendees of Together for the Gospel. And so as David is kind of up there just nosebleeding his IQ out, I'm scrolling through the social media, and immediately you're seeing the two camps just, they're immediately yeah. developed. Some guys are like, this is insane, this is terrible, and they're being scolded by all the... Uh, empaths who were saying, "Oh no, you have to, you know, hate mm-hmm. yourself because David pointed out that people have different lived experiences." And man, I legitimately stumbled out of the KFC Yum Center. I was so shocked by it, and I realized, "Oh my gosh, there's this hard division in the camp that I had put a lot of time and energy into." Uh, I went and drove around Louisville and just tried to kind of get my head around it. And uh, again, ironically enough, that was the first time I listened to the Just Thinking podcast, where, huh. Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker started explaining what critical race theory was. I'd had it on my phone for a while and hadn't listened, but I just pulled it up and started listening. I was like, oh yeah, they know exactly what David's talking about. But anyway, David is this huge rock in the pond that I think basically broke up the Together for the Gospel Coalition. 
Yeah, certainly the the sermon that he preached and the concepts that he was pushing. Um, I don't know if it was him in particular that did it, but that was, I guess, kind of a catalyst moment for a lot of people. Um, oh, it definitely was for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, together for the gospel doesn't even exist anymore, does it? No, thank God it shut down. You know, I uh, I got blocked by a whole batch of like together for the gospel editors. Um, <laughs> Justin Taylor is that the guy who's uh, at the Gospel Coalition, I think so. Yeah, he he tried to defrock me via Twitter. He said I was unqualified for <laughs> ministry because. Uh, oh, you know what? I think I remember that. Yeah, because I rejoiced <laughs> that together for the gospel was shutting down. He's like, oh, you, you know, I kind of pointed out this was God's judgment on them, and he's like, ooh, you're not fit to be in the ministry. I'm like, you know what? I'm glad that uh, I'm a Baptist pal, and you're yeah. an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so you had that happen with Together for the Gospel. Uh, what was the the next sort of? Um, I guess uh, Nine Marks. Did they yeah. have a, a similar? Now, were they related to Together for the Gospel in any way? Like, were they connected institutions? Or I, I don't know a whole lot about these Baptists. Yeah, yeah. no, you're exactly I guess, right. I, so I guess Together for the Gospel wasn't Baptist, but Nine Marks it is. Not, well, and and Baptist was sort of the the most represented denomination with Al Mohler and Mark Dibber, mm. but basically Nine Marks kind of powered all the together for the gospel stuff. Like they would have it in Louisville because Mohler okay. has a big footprint there. But gotcha, they were doing the web stuff. They were doing you know just sort of the infrastructure stuff for together for the gospel. And um, yeah, I mean it was the same thing happening there again. Super yeah. invested in nine marks. I found them when Rick Warren was the only guy that I could find at a Christian bookstore talking about what the church should be and do. I knew he was garbage. Found together, uh, sorry, found nine marks and was like, "This is wonderful." And I'd been around Dever enough at that point from a distance to realize like this guy's kind of persnickety. He's kind of curmudgeonly, mm-hmm. but I think it's because he has conviction. And I realized with Platt and what later came. No, he doesn't. He's just uh, he's just a tribalist. He's not particularly clear-headed uh, if if it's within his own camp. Because you know, Tabidi and Wale came out of his. Oh, that's group. right. That's right. Um, oh, there were some other guys that came out of there too. Well, his internship program has become a woke pipeline. I mean, you yeah. Isaac Adams, uh, yeah. PJ Tabian, or however you say his name. You just everybody who kind of comes out of that nine mark. Capitol Hill internship program is woke yeah. as a joke. Jonathan Lehman is another guy who like alleged smart dude who couldn't think his way through COVID, couldn't think his way through uh, the yeah. George Floyd summer of love. Uh, but they're all super woke, you know, didn't and, William Wolf come out of there too? Yeah. William Wolf came out of there. <laughs> that, he's a, he's a spy. He's a plant. He's going to betray us all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh I'm sure there's other good guys. You know, Nine Marks yeah. has nothing to do with William. Nine Marks, right. you, know, you never yeah. see them pushing William the way they do all these other guys who came through their church. Yeah, and there's so, there's definitely a um, a model that they are mm-hmm. producing. And if somebody doesn't fit the model, they're not affiliated with Nine Marks anymore. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, as much as any group, I mean, to God, uh, excuse me, to gospel. I'm, I'm blending together for the gospel and the gospel coalition, but the gospel coalition has been awful too. Yeah. Um, but they will mix in some stuff that's not awful every now and then. But non Marx is just consistently pushing out craziness, you know. Um, mm-hmm. What are these non awful gospel coalition things? Do what now? 
What are these non-awful gospel coalition things? This is news well, to me. Do you remember the <laughs> Thamelios article? Oh, okay. Um, Actually, um, their their journal is not bad. The yeah, their journal, journal is not bad. Yeah, you're right. Well, every now and then you'll right. have something like, man, that's really good. Um, yeah. But One of my favorite, favorite uh, discussions of covenant theology is from the Gospel Coalition journal. So it's written by David, pr- David or Jonathan Gibson. But it's yeah, really they good. had a pretty good kind of critique of woke theology at one point, right in the midst of while, you know, the, the big green engine front is pushing it everywhere. Yeah. Um, which is the weird. Thing, the thing that nobody reads is where, where you're going to find the actual content. Yeah, it's published to be like, no, 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 we've got our bona fides over here in this closet that we've hidden away. Just trust us, you know. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, they, they did publish it. Um, yeah. Not marks. Not so much. They just keep pumping woke dudes out. Yeah. So I guess... More recently, we've seen um, these, and and the reason we're bringing these things up, the Gospel Coalition, the Together for the Gospel, kind of what's happening with Nine Marks, is because these, in their foundation, like the way they started, they were things that ought to have been good. Like they were things Mm -hmm. that we ought to have found useful. They were trying to bring together people around important, you know, issues that we need to preserve and hang on to. Now, whether those kinds of coalitions are even possible is a discussion for another day. I think they are. I mm-hmm. think it is useful to do that sort of thing. Um, but I know there are a lot of people, especially in the the curmudgeonly old school Presbyterian world that never accomplishes anything that hates those kinds of coalitions for some reason that I don't understand. Um, but the these coalitions start with a with a good sort of good intent, a good foundational thing. And then because of, uh, well, sin ultimately, but because of um, these uh, rakes they're stepping on or just these, almost at a certain point, I'm becoming convinced that like some of these people are just plants. Like they have been intentionally put there to destroy this thing or if not to destroy the thing, to use the thing as a platform to subversively spread, you know, unbiblical, uh, progressive ideas yep. yeah i mean how how can you credibly argue otherwise now like yeah I mean, not everybody but david french russell moore somebody is getting paid at some point to mm-hmm. do this stuff it, it yeah I mean, back we to keep coming Lewis's, back to yeah <laughs> go ahead no go ahead it's just somebody's talking to demons and there's financial yep. incentive involved yep yep somebody somewhere is getting paid yep um but yeah more recently We've seen it happen. Um, I don't even remember how long ago it was. Was it like a year at this point, or more than that? That the the thing with um, Jason Farley on the um, <laughs> fight laugh fight laugh feast feast yeah, yeah cross politic that's the word I was trying to think of yeah. on the cross politic podcast um, said something really dumb um, and it, I it, let me just des- describe how I think this went down is. He thought they were off the air. He says something really dumb and incendiary because it's the boys together joking around. That happened. I mean, we do that to each other. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's totally fine. Turns out they were not off the air. So now you kind of have to circle the wagon, defend the guy, um, not own up to the fact that it was just a, a, a stupid comment made, you know, jokingly. Um, or even seriously, just where one of your buddies kind of got out over his skis. Right, yeah. What was the, uh, they they described it in a certain way. I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, sometimes you get out of pocket, you know, you uh, you uh, 
go a little too far when you're with the boys. And, um, you know, that's what happened, I think. And if, if he had just owned it, like, yeah, I was just being, you know. Um, Over-enthusiastic and kind of running out ahead of myself. And if they just owned, owned it, yeah, we don't think Baptist caused transgenderism. Because that was the claim that he made, despite all of the smoothing over that tried to happen afterwards. The claim that he made was Baptists caused the transgender uh, movement. Yeah, man, that one, that one was just out of left field craziness, mm-hmm. and it could have been handled so easily. So I think, actually, I kind of want to call time out real quick. So, listener, if you're, you know, I, I, maybe I'm not making this clear enough, and I, I've been assuming it, so I want to make it just as explicit as possible. Coalitions are a good thing. They should add heft, and they should, uh, they should add forward momentum and inertia towards good things. So Ben and I are not anti-institutional, and it basically takes a coalition to launch a good institution, a seminary, a denomination, a missions group, anything like that. You, you need groups of people who ally together to get things done that they can accomplish together that they couldn't on their own. And so we watched these denominations collapse. We watched Together for the Gospel collapse. We watched Nine Marks, the Gospel Coalition. Well, a whole bunch of people were looking at Moscow, Idaho, and Doug Wilson with a you know a track record of faithfulness. You know, people are going to have different criticisms or whatnot, but that man clearly is never embarrassed of the Bible. He's been about the business of trying to build stuff and, and to take a confident approach to the idea that Christ is King. And so a lot of people watching kind of all these other. In, institutions, denominational groups collapsed. Like, okay, Moscow is going to be the model. And the Fight Left Feast Network cross-politic, uh, they were like the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. And people were tuning in to them every Sunday because they were one of the same voices during COVID, things like that. And people were thinking, well, you know what? Those other things are being sloughed off. We, we can kind of rally around the model of Moscow. Baptists like myself are saying, look, we, it doesn't have to be Presbyterian. We can do a version of that. We can learn from those guys. And then just for no good reason whatsoever, in exactly the way Ben described it, some guys who just were kind of doing locker room talk and got too far, it ended up being recorded. And instead of saying, gosh, that, that was just silly, we, uh, we got a little too carried away there, our bad, let's retract that. Man, they circled the wagons, they doubled down, and yeah. uh, you know, at one point, all three of the hosts of, Fight La- of uh, Cross Politic we're giving a different explanation of what Farley said. Yeah. Um, which, to be fair, I'm a big fan of the double down. I'm a big fan of <laughs> yeah. never apologize. The problem is, is you take those principles when you're not wrong. Right. Like when you actually have done something wrong, then right. you, you apologize. The exactly. serrated edge or whatever they call it doesn't mm-hmm. work if you're the one who's in the wrong. And you're noticeably in the wrong, and you're <laughs> laughably in the wrong, and everybody yeah. can tell, like, oh my gosh, you're just stupidly defending yeah. you're, this position. You're you're just in the spin room at this point. Like, yeah. there's no no substance left. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the the things because you know whatever you think about Moscow, like the 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 thing people really are drawn to with them, I think is they were building a coalition that was the opposite of what everybody was seeing in, you know, like you were saying, seeing in the gospel coalition, seeing in all these places for one, they weren't ashamed of being Christian, mm-hmm. which I think ultimately, if you think about the the people that the gospel coalition together for the gospel, all of those big movements have created, that's the, the, really the, the root of a lot of what 
is wrong with them is that they're just ashamed of being a Christian. They're ashamed of the Bible. Um, these guys are not, you know, yep. whether you think you should baptize babies or not, you know, they think the Bible says that. So they say, this is what the Bible says. Now, mm-hmm. with their denomination, I think they leave a little leeway in that because um, they are trying to build a coalition of people who mm-hmm. are like-minded in a lot of other ways. Whether that's possible to do, again, that's another question. But um, they are trying to build something, and people were encouraged by that. And they're like, look, these guys were, their churches stayed open during COVID. You know, they have not bought into all of these things that we're seeing everybody else spy into. They were critical of the social justice nonsense. Yeah, this this is a, a way forward. And then, like you said, they, <laughs> they just blew up whatever goodwill they had in a, in a moment. Um, well, and I just, I'll stick my, you know, personal experience in here again to their credit, you know, chocolate Knox had me come on for that's right. a couple hours to talk to Farley. Um, you know, I think <laughs> Knox is a guy, Knox is a guy I love. I, you know, I just remembered that conversation that you yeah, had with Farley. That was a long winding conversation. <laughs> um, but Knox is a good guy, man. I, you know, I, I don't say this a lot. I take a bullet for Chocolate Knox. I think he's a great guy. Uh, Wrench is a dude I've been around a little bit, and I've enjoyed every time he called me after I started making noise about that. And I think he really tried to hear me out. Uh, but Toby, Toby has, uh, Toby, I think I documented before I quit paying attention, three different justifications for what Farley said that mm-hmm. all shifted when, you know, the, fir- the the previous version was sort of identified as nonsense. Yeah, it, it it depended on him assuming or, or insisting that Tom Askell and James White aren't careful thinkers, and uh, well, you know, I, I it just boggles my mind. It was like three months ago. Toby brought it up again out of nowhere to talk about how Baptists caused trannies and how we were all wrong for being upset about it. He he's the epitome <laughs> of that. Like you don't know when to double down. You just woodenly apply that everywhere. And you've killed so much good by doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in a lot of cases, and this is particularly true on social media with people who are um, kind of fans of Moscow, is they've learned that you're supposed to use the serrated edge mm-hmm. or the double down or the never apologize. They just never learned when you're supposed to use it, like you said. Uh, I think that's a, a great uh, a great explainer for that is that they they know that these things they know that these are tools they have they're just not sure when to use them um and in this case it was a it was a bad time because not only was it not true but it also uh, damaged a uh, i I don't know how to describe it because it wasn't like a coalition yet but it was on the verge of being one i think well, there's a lot of fraternity around it. A lot of guys were making connections yeah. and meeting each other and uh, just sort of generally enjoying and profiting from what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. And it just went, man. I mean, the the phrase that I had texted and DM to me so many times through that controversy was jump the shark. As mm-hmm. soon as you show that you can't think through the moment self-critically, you've thrown away credibility. And, you know, you can't hear from good brothers who are giving you reasonable counsel. You throw away credibility. Um, yeah. I think I've went to every one of the Fight, Laugh, Feast conferences. Now, they were in my home state, so they were easy to get to. But I was an early yeah. investor and supporter. And I went with guys from my local area. You know, we'd ride together, split a hotel, things like that. 
we used to get together uh, and, you know, Monday mornings, we're like, hey, did you hear this on Cross Politic? What do you think about that guest? Like, it was part of our conversation. And that group of guys, I'm still very good friends with. I talk to regularly. I can't remember the last time we talked about Cross Politic. Yeah. And in fact, um, this week I was talking to a friend of mine who said, I, yeah, I think Knox is coming to Knoxville. Do you even listen to the show anymore? I mean, that, that's where this group of guys who, again, we weren't all in the same denomination, heavily engaged with these guys, not because we got mad at them or anything like that, but the the rake stepping caused us to just kind of drift away. And yeah. it didn't have to happen. All it all yeah. it would have taken was modeling. Ah, man, that was kind of crazy. We got carried away. So let's move on. I don't I don't understand exactly why. Um and and this is this is to the point of the episode. We don't understand why it had to happen like this. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it was even before that situation, but it was around this time that I had started thinking about, you know, what what the topic of this podcast is that this isn't just a natural this isn't just nat like this isn't the way that normal groups act this is there's it almost seems like there's something supernatural happening that these groups that ought to be working for good with each other bringing together faithful christians to try and accomplish something are being actively frustrated and it was around that time that i started thinking about thinking through that and came ultimately at this point feel very confident in my conclusion because of things that we haven't talked about yet but that are you know still these things are still happening but that I think that, and I am no prophet. Mm-hmm. This is not a, a prophecy. This is just my own personal theory. But I think that it, there is a real sense in which it it has come time for judgment in the West, in the United States in particular. And just like with um, Judah and Israel, you know, you have uh, in Judah, you have Josiah, a good king, but it's already too late mm-hmm. because of um Manasseh's sin. So God extends the time for a little bit, but the the revival movement is ultimately squashed because it's time for judgment and God is wants to judge these people. Um the other example we've talked about was um in 1 Samuel, I think, uh Eli knows that his sons are committing really heinous sins in off in being priests and he warns them against it he tell, you know don't do this anymore and the passage says um that the the boys didn't heed the voice of their father because the lord wanted to kill them and so the reason they didn't repent of their sins is because god was actively frustrating their repentance so that he could judge them and i think that's where we're where we're at now yeah, if you read Psalm 33, uh, the Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations, right? Think about Gideon's uh, judgeship, mm-hmm. where the Lord sows confusion in the camp, and it does seem that when God has decided to destroy a people, yes, he gives them the leaders they deserve, but he also frustrates any kind of uh, forward momentum they would get by groups coming together. I guess I feel a burden to put in here that I don't equate... Fight left feast with Manessa, right? Uh, no, no, and yeah. Let me clarify what I mean by that. Is I I don't equate these groups with Manessa. Yeah, maybe equate, coalition. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, but no. In 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 the metaphor or in the in the parallel, 
the the wickedness is the wickedness of the the country as a whole you know of our mm-hmm. people as a whole we have committed horrible sins we have approved of horrible things and you know at some point god's going to have to i learned this phrase from james way at some point god's going to have to apologize to sodom if he doesn't judge us soon um and i think there's truth to that and so i think what we're seeing here with the frustration of these alliances and coalitions and and good movements, some not so good movements, but just the work, the work of God's people being frustrated, whether from within or without is because God doesn't want us to repent. Even if we seek it with tears, you know, it's, it's time for judgment to begin. And so even the good work of good people is being frustrated, not because God is necessarily judging those people, you know, because I think there are good people in those movements trying to build good things, but because he doesn't want them to have an effect at this point. An effect that would remove his hand of judgment. and Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, so as I'm thinking through this, I'm happy to push Mark Dever and Together for Gospel Nine Marks into this uh, betrayer category. Uh, I say push, not label them as what they've identified themselves as, Gospel Coalition, um, revoice, uh, you know, just a whole bunch mm-hmm. of that. I, I did. I think that's morally corrupt and corrupting. And I think a lot of those people knew what they were doing, or they yeah. should have known better and uh, are really in trouble uh, unless they repent explicitly. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Lehman, like telling people to close their churches, but then telling people to join him at a Black Lives adjacent <laughs> rally. Like, yeah. That I really think God's going to hold them accountable in a way that is going to be pretty sharp if they don't repent. Yeah. And not fight left feast. That was just doofusry. And right, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a distinction between kind of the the rake stepping and the the um I don't I don't have a turn of phrase for it, but you know the, the active evil trying to corrupt the church. Um, yeah, but even a group like Fight Left Feast is kind of caught up into it appears God's general pattern to say, you know what I said earlier, the kind of forward momentum and inertia that comes from these groups coalescing that would provoke good things. Yeah, uh, they're just kind of caught up into that, saying, "Now nah, you're not." do that. And yeah. uh, that, I mean, what you just described is why I earlier said it's kind of frightening because it seems like you, you know, you're not going to kick against the goads. The Lord's going to do what he wants, mm-hmm. but it's not what if, you know, if the Lord came to me and said, what would you have me do, Jeff? It wouldn't be what I picked. You know, I don't want yeah. these things, but it looks like that's what God's doing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it certainly appears that way. And that's, you know, like I said, I'm no prophet, but that's kind of my working theory. And um, do we want to get into some of the other things that happened, or do you think maybe just move forward to the uh, to the most recent one? Because we we have written down we we talked about it a little bit, but like the the stuff going on with Davenant right now, we've talked about that in past episodes a little bit. Yeah. So to that question, I'd like to just kind of throw them on the board so our listeners can be like, oh, I actually think the guys are onto a pattern here. Uh, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but. Uh, there is Davenant Institute and, in my circles, the Center for Baptist Renewal. Both of these groups are trying to do something similar, like go look at the Reformed <laughs> tradition. What's what's not been translated out of Latin, right? Mm-hmm. What can we recover that can inform right now? But with both groups, they never recover, you know, we've said it already, they never recover anything that's contrary to the spirit of the age. Yeah. And so the Center for Baptist Renewal kind of just got washed away by the woke stuff. Uh, Davenant, which I, I don't really care for Little John at this point. I certainly don't care for Alistair Roberts, but I really like Colin Redeemer. I don't have anything bad to say about Colin. I'm really thankful for him. But Little John and Alistair, who I've learned a ton from Alistair, have gotten caught up in the spirit of the age. 
Uh, their association with mere orthodoxy has drugged them off the rails. Alistair is kind of living out a repudiation of some of the best stuff he's ever written. And these two groups, that should be a help to the Reformed tradition. I mean, we are their people. Yeah. We're the kind of people who want to lean into the Reformed tradition. They've shown that, at least with them, it's, it's fruitless. To your point, I just recently, the other day, saw an article that Brad Littlejohn had written. I can't even remember the topic of it at this point, but I skimmed through it, and it was really good. Like, yeah. it was well— I think it, I think it may have been about— uh, Calvin and the Lord's Supper, perhaps. I can't remember exactly what the topic was, but um, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Well-written, well-researched. Um, these are guys who, and you know, like we've said, we're not anti-institutional. We are Catholic Christians. We love to read you know, from our forefathers who came before us. Mm-hmm. Their, pro- their project is something that we ought to, you know, like we want to be a, a part of that. We want to benefit from it. Yeah. However... Because of the the compromises in so many other areas, um, it's become impossible to do that. Uh, and I, I think you're right. the The mere orthodoxy influence is clearly um, affecting them. And th- with Davenant, the COVID stuff is really what. Oh yeah, COVID made was that terrible. made that clear to me. Um, mm-hmm. It was just very di- distressing. Uh, <laughs> guys, come on. Well, to your point um, about reading their great stuff, um, you know, I don't love Jake Mador, but uh, the other day I was looking for a article to send someone to tell them why they should read Jaber Crow, and Jake Mador wrote an incredible review of Jaber Crow. I mean, it's incredible. I, I, you mm-hmm. know, I was like, this is everything I want to say about this book. Uh, we've already talked about Stephen Wedgworth on feminacy, um, yeah. Alistair Roberts on the disruptive influence of women in agonistic spaces. Yeah. I mean, some of the very best stuff has come out of that camp or adjacent to that camp. And they're basically, again, a- apart from Redeemer, they're kind of living out a repudiation of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a that's a really great point. Is And we talked about it in the, I think, in the last episode, that their own words are accusing them. Mm-hmm. Well, the, um, the other one that I'm going to uh, put on the record here is purely political, but I think it's part of the same pattern. Anybody with any sense who wanted to see the Democratic Party and the demonic progressive influence it represents pushed back knew, absolutely knew, that if Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis could align, they would own the executive office of the, of the United States of America for at least 12 years. Trump runs again. DeSantis is vice president. Kisses, you know, uh, DeSantis with the gift of approval. DeSantis kisses the ring and carries on. You would have had about 12 years where the Democrats would have been in a rock, I mean, in between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And of course, Trump being who Trump is, uh, that didn't blows happen. it up. Yep. Blows it up. And you also have, you know, I'm gun to my head. I'm a DeSantis guy, right? But mm-hmm. you also have DeSantis who jumps in bed with the Bush uh, architecture mm-hmm. and starts making friendly with all these people who are, they basically represent the neocon awfulness. Yeah. Yeah. And you just look at this and you're like, guys, it didn't have to be this way. It yeah. absolutely did not have to be this way. You could have gotten yeah. together and something good could have happened. Maybe something that would continue things like the overturn of Roe versus Wade and whatnot. But it appears yeah. like the Lord is actively thwarting those things. Yeah. Yeah. If if I thought elections were real, I would agree with all of that. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get you. <laughs> I hear some old libertarian coming out in there. Yeah. Uh, uh 
but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There is just this, like, I, everybody, as soon as DeSantis started acting, you know, as soon as DeSantis took the Trump pill and started behaving in, a, in that way, everybody immediately knew this is the guy. And mm-hmm. all that has to happen is, you know, Trump hands the crown over to him, yep. essentially. You know, yep. you're, you're the new leader of the movement. Mm-hmm. And Trump could play kingmaker. He could be, yep. you know, the, yep. the wise counselor. Who everybody, the guy. Yeah. Yeah. But it couldn't but happen. No. But no, there's actually, that, that's a, an interesting, consistent theme of people who want to be the kingmakers blowing up movements that we might, mm. might come up again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, so listener, I hope you're, I mean, I hope you're seeing the pattern. Um, denominational, these trans denominational movements, um, these groups that want to recover from within the reform tradition, uh, these people who have modeled, you know, uh, kind of building institutions and forming new alliances just one by one. They kind of either through moral, ethical, theological corruption or just because of unchecked pride uh, or, you know, allegiance to the spirit of the age, depending on which group you're talking about, they they're wasted. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned coming up to our current moment. You want to you want to take it from there, Ben? <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, and I'm sure at the, by this point, everybody who's listening to us knows what the the next thing is going to be, which is the whole, um, I guess, the Christian nationalist discussion. It's not really about, I, well, it is in a way about Christian nationalism, but it's, it's much broader than that. Um, but it's just, I mean, the same exact behavior. You have a group of guys, which I guess at this point, it's obvious our names are both on the Christian nationalist statement. So you know where we stand. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the guys who have been rejecting Christian nationalism and I was going to say responding to it, but that's not really a, a fair description of what they're doing. But the the G3 guys, um, which when that move, that movement, the G3 ministry stuff started as a conference. Right. And it was coming right. out of like their frustrations with. T4G and the Gospel mm-hmm. Coalition going woke, if I remember correctly. That's correct. Yeah. Um, they're kind like Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, Josh Bice is a Southern Baptist pastor. He was. Yeah. I think they recently left. Graduated yeah. Southern, uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, all the, you know, all the guys on the G3 ticket, I guess, uh, are, are pretty much Baptist. I mean, Conrad and Bayway's on there. Uh, Vody Bauckham, like they they kind of built it as yeah its own sort of trans denominational thing too, but mostly Baptist. Yeah, um, and so there's been this big conversation. If you haven't seen it, I don't know that you've been on the internet, and you probably aren't listening to this podcast. But if you haven't seen it, there's been a big um, dust up over Christian nationalism and whether we ought to accept that term or whether that's, um, you know, replacing the gospel with politics or whether it's the right way forward. Um, if you don't know what Christian nationalism is, there's a statement that recently came out that describes a kind of broad, um, a broad kind of consensus view of Christian nationalism, but there are different forms of it. Obviously you've got like the, the Stephen Wolf, um, kind of classical two kingdoms, magisterial reformers sort. You've got some guys who are kind of, Theonomic post-millennial sort of guys. You've got um, that's Wilson. You know he's got his new book. Yeah, Isker and Torba yeah. wrote the book Christian Nationalism. Yeah. Oh yeah, too. that's right. I forgot about them. Um, I'm not sure how you would describe their version of Christian nationalism as far as like placing it within a, a category. But you've got a kind of broad, a bunch of different guys who are all kind of thinking the same way. 
and obviously using the term because after was it after January sixth that that became like a thing? Uh, you know, the, the the Christian national nationalist insurrection. So um, as movements have pretty much universally done in the past, we they took the um, the derisive name and said, "Yeah, that's us." And yeah, I mean, in this case, it. I think they base you know the the media and then even the betrayers within the Christian camp, like Russell Moore, they basically created a thing. Uh, by yeah. accusing people of being Christian nationalists, people looked into nationalism and thought, well, I do think Christianity would be the best way forward. And I do kind of want a nationalist perspective governing my nation. And, oh, hey, well, thanks for handing that to us. And we'll take <laughs> yeah. that derogatory and run with it. Thanks a lot. But um, what has ended up happening is because of the, um, well, just inability to deal honestly about this issue guys who ought to be our friends again you know these are not our enemies or i at this point i don't i don't know how to talk correctly about this but these are guys who were not our enemies who we you know would have supported i mean we're actively like um yep. virgil walker's part of g3 and you were just talking about how helpful his podcast with uh, daryl harrison was for you um, i mean i, I went to bat publicly for owen strand multiple times oh, with our oh. denomination yeah, I know what you're talking about because I I strongly disagree with his position on like Trinitarian theology, but I have gone to to fight online for him. Not not defending the theology, but just saying, you know, this is not the guy to to mm -hmm. attack right now. Like yep. this isn't the fight. And with Virgil and Owen, I still really like those guys. I don't know yeah. Josh Bice as well. I don't know Scott Aniel at all. But like I'm rooting for them. I would, you know, I've tried yeah. to be as friendly in this as possible. So I get the confusion you're feeling about are they our enemies? But I can tell you this: if they are our enemies, or whatever degree they're our, we didn't make them that. Right. Exactly. And that, that's what I was trying to trying to get to is it did as with all of these controversies, it didn't need to be this way. These guys were, um, you know, the 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 group who the various different movements of the Christian nationalists started talking about this thing and they're bringing forward some ideas and they want to discuss those ideas. That's how new movements always get started. Mm -hmm. You know, you say, you might even call it a recovery. Yeah. <laughs> right. Here, here's my idea. I've got it from, you know, these reformers or whatever. Here's how to, I would like to, you know, put it into practice, whatever. Here, here's the idea. Let's discuss, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, let's throw hands a little bit and maybe it'll sharpen, you know, iron sharpens iron. Let's, let's get, let's do the work. And unfortunately, immediately, the, the response from people who up until this point had been, you know, friends, brothers, working together, co-belligerents, it was, you guys are a bunch of racists. Um, oh, I, I don't even remember the, the process of what, what other accusations there were, but you're a bunch of racists. You want a Protestant pope was one of them. And they, I mean, they just keep, they just stick on that. I mean... <laughs> They're committed to it. And it's kind of like the same deal with Toby Sumter. Like at some point, right. you being latched onto this makes you look so ridiculous. It starts eroding the respect I brought to the table when we first started. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my goodness. Yes. That, that is a, a perfect description because when this conversations first started, I was like, oh yeah, the G3 guys, they're pretty solid guys. It'll be interesting to see how they respond to this. You know, what, what are their concerns? And not only were the concerns that they're bringing forward and are still bringing forward just totally off base 
when they're corrected on it and said, hey, actually, no one believes this. And if you look at what was written, we're actually describing the opposite of those things, whether that's in Stephen Wolf's book, in the statement or, you know, in Torbo's stuff, because each of them have been misrepresented in their own way by the G3 guys. It's like, did you guys even look at any of the stuff you're responding to? Or like, I, I don't know why you're a part of the fight because you clearly haven't read the material. You're clearly not a part of the discussion. What, what are you doing here? And why are you shooting your friends? Yeah. So, you know, again, you said, I put my name on that thing. You put your name on that thing. We're quite happy to say, this is where we're at. Let's, let's hash it out. Right. Yeah. Uh, G3 started by just ignoring, which is a classic big Eva move. Right. Yeah. They wanted to, to address the issue and never have to take any kind of, uh, questions so they that was the that was the inert that was the early wave uh and and they started trotting out these uh positions that either like you just said clearly indicated you haven't done the reading or two were answered in the reading in like 1784 Mm -hmm. you know the guys were way out ahead of y'all man and we're leaning on them uh i had put up just a tweet being like you know i thought it was conciliatory Part of the problem here is that these guys are reacting to Stephen Wolf. He's read so much more than they have that they're just kind of scrambling to play catch up because they're having this visceral reaction to ideas they don't like. Well, a brother who I respect was like, hey, man, that's super insane. I deleted the tweet, which I super rarely do, but it's because I'm trying to be fraternal here. And I think this week, as we're recording, Scott released an, another article where he wants to talk as if he's an expert without ever having to face any kind of challenge. But Scott Aniel released a, an article that begins with him saying he quit Wolf's book a third of the way through. Yeah, I think, to be fair, I think in that article he says he, d- he did come back to it and finish reading it. Well, good for him. He should, uh, he should start reading footnotes. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know what he was missing if he read the whole book because mm-hmm. the, the, the accusations he's making are uh, crazy. They're not even in the arena. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, that that's another of the frustrating things. We're kind of delving into the topic here a little bit of the Christian nationalism debate, which we probably should do an, an entire episode on. Maybe bring on some of the other guys from the statement. Um, but one of the frustrating things is like, so I went to the RPCNA seminary. RPCNA are called, you know, in in uh, colloquial colloquial terms, covenanters for a reason, which is they believed that. You know, the, the, the civil government ought to covenant and recognize the lordship of Christ. So for a long time, they didn't vote and hold public office in the United States because they believed the United States government was in rebellion to Christ. So they wouldn't participate. As a part of that education, there were two books that I had to read. I can't remember now if they were actually required or if it was just something that I did. But two books, Lex Rex by mm. Samuel Rutherford, yeah. The Law of the King, and Messiah the Prince by somebody Simbington, I think is his last name. All, all of the objections, the um, sort of swipes that the G3 guys are taking, and some they haven't even taken yet, but <laughs> probably will, all of them are answered in those books. These are not... New ideas. These aren't, you know, you haven't come up with a really great art. It's like, uh, it's like reading, you know, the the 15 year old Redditor 
who just discovered atheism. Exactly right, man. That's a perfect comparison. It's like, guys, there's 2,000 years of church history where we've talked about these things. So, you know, maybe I'm not going to be convinced by your if God good, why bad things happen argument. And that's the level of argumentation we're getting from the G3 guys. And I hate to say that because I don't want to have to say that about them, but it's the truth. Like, that's what they do. Well, and, and you just described your own particular experience. And, you know, somebody might be listening going, well, not everybody goes to a seminary. Like, Canon Press recently republished Lex Rex, right? I mean, like, it's, it's, um, it's not like it's buried away in some dusty tome that you have to translate from an obscure language. Right. Uh, yes. This is yeah, both of those books are easily accessible. Um, but, but along with that, if you're going to portray yourself as an expert on the topic, mm-hmm. and a critic, as a, as, as a, yeah, as a ministry leader who is addressing an issue, then actually, yeah, you do need to be educated on the book and read it. I don't expect you know average Joe six pack layman to have read Lex Rex. Fine, whatever. But he's also not writing articles against Christian nationalism. So and ignoring the people who have who are right. saying, hey, actually, there's a good answer. Can we right. sit down and talk about it? You know, I guess that was a frustration for me is that I was saying, guys. Now, trying to forestall some of this, like, hey, can we just talk about this directly so that um, we can a- address this so this doesn't get out of hand? Well, they ignored it, spiraled out of hand. They, they made themselves look foolish. So they commit to these foolish public positions. They won't take any kind of questions that might help them escape that. And because they're committed to being foolish, people start openly making fun of them, which is not what I want for guys I respect. It's not what I want for guys I look to who I think are good brothers who can help. But now they they have subjected themselves to open ridicule because of the way they've chosen to behave. And I'm thinking about writing on this, but I'm getting DMs and even text messages where people are like, hey, what's going on? Can you help put a stop to this? Nothing good's coming out of this. And I'm going to write on it because I keep sending the same message. I did everything I could to try to stop us from getting to this place. But I don't know how to unpluck a chicken. Yeah. Once you make certain decisions... You know, it's like Chernobyl. At at some point, there's a, a point of no return, and it's gonna blow up. Yeah. And I don't know what to do at that point. You know. So I'm even still living in like contemporary, fresh frustrations about this. I don't. I don't want what they represent marginalized and fractured because I think they're better than this, and I think we could work together and get some good stuff done. But I don't think the Lord maybe wants that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have. <laughs> As as a key source of some of that mockery, I have sure. a little bit of a different opinion sure. on that, which is, um, you know, Proverbs says you answer a fool according to his folly or you don't answer a fool according to his folly for, you know, different reasons. And I think at a certain point when you have reached the level of foolishness in your response that these guys have, the only thing left is to just make fun of it because you've tried every other method. You know, we've tried to, not me personally, but I know guys who are part of that statement, tried to sit down with these guys in private, say, let's, hey, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Tried I mean, I, I, I all but begged for it in public. I was just like, guys, please, let's talk about this. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Guys have been asking for a public discussion about this. And now he's since deleted the tweet. In fact, did it within like an hour of posting it. But Scott posted the thing. Well, you don't have time to address every Tom, Dick, and Harry Except that you're uh, spending, you know, how much time writing blog posts about it? And clearly, 
as a result of the release of this statement. I mean, yes, Stephen Wolf's book was huge, but the, the reason that this is a conversation right now among Baptists is because of this statement, which was primarily, I mean, basically completely written by Baptists. And then I helped with some of the editing, but um, primarily written by Baptists. So uh, that, that's why it's a conversation right now. Clearly, these are the guys you're talking to. You're not talking to Stephen Wolf. You've already written him off as a racist. The people you're trying to communicate with are these people. And you're just not willing to come to the table. Well, okay. If that's what you want, that's what you get. And I'm, I'm basically paraphrasing Cool Hand Luke here, but that's the way he wants it. He gets it. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to that point, so that wasn't the tack I took in terms of, uh, you know, kind of making fun, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I tried to be pretty forward-facing with, hey, I think y'all are brothers. We should talk about this. Let's get this done. But a few years ago, I wrote a piece for Servants and Heralds called The Theology of Godly Memory. Yeah. And I actually think uh, my conclusion there, well, I think the tension between those Proverbs is actually resolved in mockery. You have that in the ministry of Elijah. You have that in the ministry of Jesus, you know, telling the Pharisees, you travel over the face of the ocean to make a single convert and you make him twice a son of hell uh, compared to yourself. Or you have him telling, you know, the Pharisees that Herod is a fox. You tell him, uh, you know, fox wasn't um, something that we think of after Aesop, where it's sort of a kind of a cunning, clever image. Foxes were like vultures. They were scavengers. They were uh, marginalized creatures who represented filth and disgust. And I think probably what the Bible, I think what I've concluded is the Bible counsels. If the fool persists and you yeah. have to do something with him, you can't give him a straightforward answer. He's shown that that is not probable to him. What you need to do is make fun of him so that the those who would observe, who do have some hope of being wise, would be trained by visceral reaction to see the foolishness as undesirable. And so the G3 guys have pushed themselves in this place. I mean, this is is tying your own news and holding yourself up to say, make fun of me. Yeah. I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think at this point, it's become so evident that they have um, made fools of themselves that any more mockery is just kind of like hitting the kid with glasses. like. Let him go. You know, yeah. he's seen enough. <laughs> well, particularly um, but, with your, your deft hand. Uh, good night. But, but um, we kind of went into the dirt on that particular issue. It's just the most contemporary example, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's another example of apparently like active frustration of coalition building of good movements being, um, being uh, built and you know, even in in the the Christian nationalist discussion, one of the things that has frustrated me a little bit because I've gotten some pushback from you know like Presbyterian friends, like why why are you helping the Baptists write a statement about Christian nationalism? You know this this doesn't align perfectly with Stephen Wolf's book. Um, and I'm like, guys, this is not the time to have that fight. Like, yes, I get it. The post millennial theonomists and the 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 classical two kingdoms guys have some some serious disagreements about you know foundational issues yes that's true however in practice about 98% of what they want to see happen in this country is going to be pretty pretty similar like it's going to be close so maybe this isn't the time to kill each other over the first principles things which don't get me wrong i think are very important sure and you know like i am a presbyterian i, I consider myself like a more establishmentarian like stephen wolf category than I do the, the, 
theonomic post-millennial. I mean, I am post-millennial, but I'm using Joel Webin's terminology for like well, that's not the that really coming into the conversation on. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, yes, I get those, those things are important, but this is like the, the fledgling movement starting here. This is not the time to split. <laughs> like this is, we don't need four different camps all trying to do their own thing at this point. Like let's get together. And this is why I wanted to be a part of the statement because a consensus document in a time like this is so helpful because it brings all of the people who have a very, like all of the things they agree on are pretty similar. They have some differences, bring them together, find something they can agree on and move forward from there. I think that's why the statement was so helpful and watching the splintering even happen among my people. Like, you know, this isn't just about G3. This is the splintering and frustration of, a, a good thing is happening even in the Christian nationalist movement, which is one of the criticisms that some people have made of it is that, oh, those, those guys will never be able to build anything because they're going to be having their first conference in a, a holiday in whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever James White said about it. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, you didn't. I mean, you're saying things that need to be on the record. I was just going to say, can we can we expect guys who have trained for the to uh, to know how to triage threats and how to uh, how to address them? So like. You're talking about your camp. My friends are saying if the Presbyterians take over, they're going to drown Baptists. And I know that happened in history. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen again if, if we had our desired results. But I'm happy to make that trade if that's on the table. I can get rid of abortion and I can get rid of transgender surgeries. Uh, and then I have to take the risk of maybe my life being threatened by Presbyterians. I'll sign up for that right now. And I'll sign up for it every day of the week. So can we understand how to triage threats? Um you know, my buddy Jared, your friend too, uh, he did his PhD work at a Baptist seminary, basically trying to cut the legs out from under Revoice's theology. Thank God for that. That's somebody mm-hmm. who knows where the threat's coming from and knows we kind of need it. all hands on deck Yep. because they're all coming for us at the end. Can we not have some of that? Yeah. Um, it, I think the only, again, uh, the, I've showed my cards at the beginning, but I think the only answer to why we're not seeing those things happen is because, you know, it is time for judgment. Um, and I think this might be a good time to, if you've said everything you want to say about the, the, that recent dust up, this might be a time to move into other things. Um, so when I say, you know, it's time for judgment, people are going to hear that as like, Oh, you know, Ben's taking the black pill. He's, you know, yeah. he's given up on everything. Uh, it's not worth doing anything, not worth fighting, not worth, trying to make progress, like, we're done. God's judging us. And I don't want people to hear me saying that either. Like, while I, I do, that is my opinion that, you know, it's time for God to judge the West. One thing we know about God's judgment is, first of all, that he remembers his people. So um, the judgment of this nation will probably be harsh and ugly, but God will preserve his people through it. Um, and so you still have to answer the question, well, what comes after judgment? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not it's not all you know grim and hopeless, and I still think it's worth fighting to to and in as many ways as possible and as much as God allows to fight against the sort of evil things that are happening you know in the government or in churches or you know in families you know just because I think that the Lord is going to frustrate those plans and judge this country and probably most of Western society. Um, it doesn't mean I don't think we ought to fight and it doesn't mean I, I don't think we ought to try to 
be obedient in every way that we can. First of all, because we shouldn't presume on God's judgment. I mean, I could be wrong. And second of all, because he still commanded me to live in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, that's what this podcast represents, right? I mean, you're a Presbyterian dude. I'm a Baptist. Um, we're writing things or we're, you know, editing and contributing things like the statement on Christian nationalism. You know, yeah. uh, I'm personally involved in multiple efforts to build institutions. Um, uh, this isn't a black pill kind of thing. Although, as I mentioned earlier, it does kind of frighten me. Ultimately, I affirm that everything the Lord does is good. But some of the things he may be what I'm hoping for, I don't want to see people destroyed. Um, so I'm I'm not blackpilled. I'm still trying to do what I can. I'm even trying to coalition that maybe would be profitable either to forestall judgment or turn it away or for the far side of that. So this is not blackpill. Um, I still am very confident King Jesus wins. Oh, yeah. But you do have to take stock of where you're at and figure out as best you can where you're at in the story God is telling. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about this, I think, probably on the, the very first episode. You know, the, the things we're concerned with in this podcast and just in our lives are things that, you know, hopefully my great grandchildren are going to see. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily things for me. This is, uh, this is the rebuilding year. Um, so the, the project we're about is not just for the end of our lives. It's for the end of our children's lives, the end of their children's lives. You know, we're, we're building something multi-generational. And so if judgment is coming, you know, Hey, at least it'll be on me and not my kids or their kids. Another thing that you would sign up for right now, if it was on offer, right? Right. Exactly. So Ben, I mean, we've kind of done some of this already, but just to give people some way forward, um, you know, I'm going to say, even realizing that God is frustrating these things, you need to still be working with people to see what together. Um, some of it may get caught up in the sweep. Uh, I think you need to push to still be charitable to those that maybe have taken a side. Like I said, with Chocolate Knock, I love that dude, man. I'll try to support anything he's doing. Um, I'd love it if Toby came out tomorrow and said, Hey, I, I mean, I've just mishandled this for a while. I'd be immediately ready to, you know, just say that's wonderful. Thank you for that leadership. Um, yeah. Same with the G three guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm not yeah, rooting that, for any of that. That's one of the things that's so frustrating about the, the the frustration of these coalitions is that it could be fixed tomorrow. Like if some if some guys would just be like, Hey, you know what? We didn't read the book. Hey, you know what? We were we were just getting a little rowdy and joking. Sorry. You know, it was so easy to fix. And, and would be stronger because yes. we have seen people refuse to do that very thing. We'd have more confidence in them if they would come out and say just what you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's another thing we've talked about in the past is how daunting the admission of guilt is before you do it and how freeing it is after you do it. You know, Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me. And that's how restorative it is also, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. The, the immediate influx of risk, restoring grace. Um, so I mean, again, as we're thinking about going forward, yeah, admitting where you failed, continuing to try to work with people, uh, and then rooting for that uh, and lending your hand where you can. So again, this podcast, but I mean, I love Tom Askell. I'm going to go to yeah. bat for Founders Ministry every day yeah. of the week. Um I don't, you know, I don't pay as close attention to them, but R.C. Sproul was a huge gift to me. I'm rooting for Liggett. 
uh, I'm not dispensational, but I'm rooting for John MacArthur, right? And yeah. so I'm not checked out on these things. I'm still I'm still looking for the one that the Lord made you to bless. And I'm just going to stay there until I die. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are a lot of, um, you know, I really, I really appreciate the guys in, uh, Utah, Ogden, uh, mm. Brian and Eric and mm-hmm. Dan. Um, I appreciate what they're trying to do. I think it's, yep. a, it's a good project, you know, I'm supportive of it. I want to see them succeed. Um, they're, they're different. There are little kind of little pockets all over the place trying to do things like this. Um, and I'm very hopeful for them. I'd love to see them succeed. I want to support that and, and try to actively, you know, platform and, and boost anytime I see them doing something that I'm supportive of. Um, so yeah, there, there are a lot, a lot of ways, despite, you know, being the guy who's like the end is near, um, that you don't, you know, that's, that doesn't need to be a hopeless thing. That doesn't need to be a, a, a doomer mindset. Um, you, you can actually still trust that the Lord is going to build his church. And like you said, ultimately Jesus wins. Jesus is going to be King. Uh, he yeah, he does rule over all the nations now. Yeah. And they will all visibly give him yeah. allegiance at some point. I, I don't want a Jesus card as superficially, but if the end is near, we're a resurrected people. We think that that means the beginning is near too. Right. And so yeah. none of this is a terminal point. Um, yeah. Jesus is always increasing his, Reign and his glory. Yeah. And to be clear, since I have already described myself as a post-millennial, when I say the end is near, I just mean for the West. Sure. Um, sure. I, I, don't think, I don't think that end is near. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's the, I guess a lot of this just came, this episode came about even before we had even talked about doing a podcast together. We had been talking about this and just how frustrating it was to watch these things happen. And, um, it's, there, there is not, it is not a hopeless situation as I think the thing to end on, you know, it's not, don't take the black pill. It's not all over. Um, it's true. It didn't need to be like this in each of these situations. It didn't need to be like this. And, um, you know, if you, if you hold my view that it, it, this is the, the result of God's actively stopping good things from happening because he wants to judge us, even then it's still not the end because, you know, after judgment, God's people are still going to need to build something. And so we work toward that end. If it's not that, you know, we are supportive of these movements because it's movements like these that God uses. It's, you know, through the church, through faithful people working together that he can change a nation. Well said, brother. I mean, that's where I'd want to leave it to. Um, I'm, I am a little bit chilled in terms of my outlook, in turn, you know, not wanting maybe to see destruction fall. I think Jeremiah warrants that kind of response to God's pending judgment. Um, I'm still optimistic, though, because I know how the story ends, um, and I want to keep trying to work with people as far as I can, as long as I can, uh, because eventually, either on this side of judgment or the, the far side of it, God's going to do something to continue building the fame of Christ. Whatever I can do to contribute to that in my earthly life, I'm in. So uh, I'm happy to end on that optimistic. Yeah, I do. I do want to say one other thing. Um, now that I now that I think about it, is some people I think are going to hear this episode and think, "Well, you talked a lot about coalitions and organizations and things, but you know, the, the main way that that Christ works is through His church, which is true. Um, we don't. We certainly don't deny that. But a lot of the the sort of parachurch 
organizations we've talked about that have had these fractures and things like that have done so in the context of local churches and denominations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Revoice was a parachurch ministry that came out of a PCA context. And back um, flushes into local churches. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, the stuff happening with uh, T4G, primarily Southern Baptist. So when we're talking about these movements, it's not just, oh, you know, this parachurch we like fell apart. No, this is a fact affecting real people in real, you know, local congregations who are being either deceived or just the good work that they're doing is being destroyed because of the, whether from within or without these, mm-hmm. this, the frustration of uh, their work. Yep. There's an opportunity cost too, because if these things weren't happening, the good work they're doing in a local church could be accelerated. Yeah. It's just right. not the Lord's purpose right now. All right, man. So uh, again, we're not handing out black pills. Um, seems to be what the Lord's doing, but we can recognize the pattern and press on in faithfulness better if we see it and try to just see where he might relent. I guess um, just a final thought is an encouragement to everybody listening to this, but especially, you know, just thinking in terms of the different controversies we've talked about. And we, we, we talked about it a little bit, but just, you know, in, in thinking about the way that the, the plans of good people have been frustrated, I think one helpful thing to do is to look at yourself. You know, how, how have I been contributing to that frustration of, you know, good work that's happening. Is there a way that I have been and, and how can I um, not do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, whether it's like we talked about, you know, being a part of building something, um, you know. That's always good counsel to start, start at home, start with yourself. So happy to, uh, happy to co-sign that. All right, man. So where can our listeners find you out there on the interwebs? Yeah. If this is uh, your, your first time listening and you don't know, I am at, Bendel Wary on Twitter and anything else I'm doing, you can pretty much find on there. I'm at merely J Wright on the same social media platform. Anything I write long form ends up on servants and heralds.com. Check me out there. Ben, you want to take us out? Sure. Um, thank you for listening to Backwoods Belief. We'll be back um, with you, you know, Lord willing, sometime in the next week or so. <laughs> and yeah. remember, this is. We're recording this on a Wednesday, so this is a, a white pill Wednesday. Oh, white pill Wednesday. My new favorite hashtag. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you all for listening to Backwoods Belief, and we will talk to you all soon.